Ezra Fieldsmeyer. And I'm Casey Kentrell. And welcome to Animation and Beyond. And we have a very special episode today. I mean, they're all special, obviously. But this one is very special because we're going to be talking about a movie that just came out. And we saw yesterday. It was Onward from Disney Pixar. Yeah, we saw it at the El Capitan Theater, which I've never been to. Can you tell us a little bit about what that theater is for people who it's don't know? It's a fully know? restored theater in Hollywood, and it only plays Disney films because Disney owns that theater. Most of their movies they play there, they have special show live shows right before, like theming whatever movie is playing there. They had two characters actually appeared from the film. Um, performing on stage and dancing with... And they were the, the main characters of the movie, Ian and Barley Lightfoot. Yeah, so they made an appearance, and that was pretty cool. And But even before that, they actually they had an organist playing on the stage before the show for like half an hour, and he was playing Disney songs. Yeah, he played yesterday like, like Tale as Old as Time from Beauty and the Beast, A Bunch from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Friend Like Me from Aladdin, Let It Go from Frozen, and some others. Yeah, and it's really just a cool theater. I really like old theaters with this sort of old art deco kind of look. And yeah, it's a cool and it's on Hollywood Boulevard. And that's obviously a cool place with all that. It's like Disneyland. <laughs> it's like Disneyland for, for Hollywood, I'd say. Yeah, so lots of people. It's very crowded, but it was it was a lot of fun going to that theater for the first time for myself. But Ezra, I'm sure you've been there dozens of times. Many, actually. Yeah. And I've seen lots of Disney films there. Yeah. So we'll be talking a little bit about Onward. There will be some spoilers. So, you know. Spoiler alert, we will be getting into those, but we'll try to keep it to a minimum until the very end, at least. And yeah, but before we get started, we want to do an On This Birthday. So the lead for the movie, Onward, is played by Tom Holland, and his birthday was on June 1st, 1996. The same year I was born. And I know that Tom Holland from Spider-Man Homecoming and Spider-Man Far From Home. I know Zendaya, who played the female lead, was also from those movies, was also born in 1996, the same year I was born. Well, there you go. But specifically June 1st. Yeah, June 1st, 2012 was... Snow White and the Huntsman. And that's the live action remake or? No, it's like a different take on Snow White. Okay, so Snow White and the Huntsman came out on Tom Holland's birthday. He was also recently in Spies in Disguise as well as Doolittle. What role did he play in Doolittle? I think he voiced one of the talking animals. Yeah, so he's kind of making a bit of a of a voice acting career for himself, it seems like. Yeah. And he was he was fantastic in this film, but... We could definitely talk about that in our feature presentation. Happy birthday, Mr. Adult Man. Oh, Mom. Black and gross. What was Dad like? His beard was scratchy. He had a goofy laugh. I wish I'd met him. I have something for you from your dad. It's a wizard staff. I wrote this spell so I could see for myself who my boys grew up to be. This spell brings him back. Back like back to life? He wanted to meet you more than anything. 
fucked up Zadar! How did you- I don't know! It just started! Hang on! Dad? Just don't stop, Bart! Dad! You are in your house! Oh, oh boy! Oh. We've only got 24 hours to bring back the rest of Dad. We're going on a quest! So as we said, we saw this movie yesterday. And let, let's just talk about our first impressions of the movie. What did you think about it? Thrilling, exciting, another another Pixar film with things you may not expect. And we'll definitely get into those. Instant masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, so I thought it was amazing. You know, I, I feel, and we can get into this a little bit because this is the... The past few years, um, Pixar has been releasing sequels to their movies, right? Rather than original films. So there was Incredibles 2, Toy Story 4. Finding Dory, Monsters University, Toy Story 3, and Cars 2 and 3. It seems like it had been focusing mostly on sequels or prequels of existing franchises. Yeah. And this is the first in what they say will be a series of original films. And they actually played a preview for one of those films, Soul, that's coming out next year? No, this year in June. It's going to be a little bit like their hit 2015 film, Inside Out. Yeah, but we'll definitely talk about that movie later. This film is kind of a return to the fundamentals, I think, for Pixar. And it it worked for me. Just personally speaking, I've been kind of losing interest in Pixar films because I feel like I don't know. I just wasn't as interested in all the sequels that they were making. Well, I was personally. I thought it made the childhood movies we know, like Toy Story, Finding Nemo, Incredibles, Monsters, Inc. and Cars by expanding the universes of them. And I like that they did those. I, I certainly know your feelings about sequels and that sort of thing. And that's totally... That's we all have our own opinion, I know. But Pixar's original features they did were acclaimed films like Inside Out and Coco. And not as praised as others... Those were Brave and The Good Dinosaur. I thought this was a return to form for Pixar. And I was a little little trepidatious at first because what of why I thought the direction of the film was going to be. But then it seemed to to shift gears from that. And it sort of looked at this examination of these two brothers, these two characters who are brothers that I thought was really, really interesting and really really touching by the end of the movie. Yeah, I agree. Like a lot of Disney and Disney Pixar films in general, I thought it was both emotional and funny, meaning a lot of sad parts and a lot of funny parts at the same time, which is a clever figure of speech, I say, like tragically hilarious or heartbreakingly hilarious. Pixar is masterful when it comes to striking that balance between making you laugh and making you cry. And Disney is good at that too as well. Right. This movie was great and I thought it was another good achievement to do that. So let's talk about the premise of the film a little bit. So what is this movie about? Two elf brothers who live in an urban fantasy world where houses look like toadstools, like in fairy tales. Yeah, it has elements of, of fairy tales, but sort of set in this modern setting where they have the kind of modern technology like smartphones and computers and electricity and cars and everything. So there's elves and cyclops and goblins, unicorns and even mermaids. Yes. And all these fantastical creatures occupying this world, but they're just living a normal life. They, you know, the, the brothers go to school. Like it's combining ancient with modern. There were wizards. 
Okay. So the status of magic in this world, there used to be the world, as as the opening monologue says, the world used to be full of magic. But times change. Things have become more convenient. So magic was used for the functions of everyday life. So yeah. there's one scene they show where there's wizards going around the houses at night and using magic to provide light. But as the film explains, learning magic is hard. And so then they cut away to a scene where somebody has invented a light bulb and it's very easy and convenient to use a light bulb instead for a source of light. And so magic itself kind of falls away as a result because it's just not as convenient. It's harder to learn. And why learn it when you can just use light bulbs or phones or whatever? And actually, that's kind of where I was concerned about the movie because at first I thought it was going to be... I guess I was worried that it was going to be preachy. It's going to be sort of lamenting, look how everyone's so devoted to convenience over magic or whatever. To me, I'm just not interested in being preached at. So mm. I wasn't really digging that. And I was really concerned that that was the direction of the film. Yeah. But fortunately, it took a very different direction. They go on a quest, a quest like for one day to bring their father who passed away a long time ago back to life for one entire day with a magic staff but when they use it it only brings half of him back not the whole thing yeah his legs specifically and that's a lot of the the humor of the film is trying to direct <laughs> these pair of legs around um on this quest yeah, and so specifically about the characters... Ian and Barley. Ian and Barley. So Ian, he turns 16 in the film. So it's like this coming of age moment for him. And as we learn through the film, he actually... His father passed away before he was born. So he never had a chance to meet his dad. His older brother, as he says throughout the film, he only has three memories of his dad. And he was also, I don't know, like three or four at the time when his dad passed away as well. Yeah. So they're specifically looking for what is called a phoenix gem because that's the only thing that's powerful enough for this spell. And so they go on this quest and they meet a bunch of different characters and have a lot of fun. And you actually said it reminded you of a popular game. Dungeons and Dragons. I am Dungeon Master, your guide in the realm of Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, yes, yes. That's what my dad told me about, too, from what the reviews he read online about the film. What things sort of made reminded you of that? Oh, how they were the way they found clues was like using cards, like kind of like a role playing game. Right. And especially the, the brother, Barley, really latches onto the role playing aspect. Yeah, he's kind of cool, like compared to Ian, Barley's the cool one. Well, I don't know if he's, he comes across as the cool one. He's like he's the nerd. What makes him different is that he's confident. Ian's not confident at all. Ian's a bit more nervous compared to Barley. Yeah. So there's an early scene where. Ian is trying to invite some of his classmates to his birthday party, and it just is completely bungled. I know, and Barley, I know, who was voiced by Chris Pratt from the Guardians of the Galaxy films, as well as the Lego films and the Jurassic World movies, like, comes up with a quest, and he and Ian go on a journey in an old van that's painted with a unicorn on it. What was it called again? Guinevere. They call, that's what Barley named it is Guinevere. And it's like an old worn down van that doesn't really work half the time. I remember. Yeah. They first stop at 
a family restaurant and they get run by a, a manticore. I don't remember her name, but I don't remember who she was voiced by. I think literally her name, there's a joke in there where her name is the first name, the last name manticore <laughs> the manticore i remember yeah. and that when we first see them she refuses to give barley and ian the map and that family restaurant was supposed to look like real family restaurants like shaky's Chuck E. cheeses and dave and busters and it's kind of goes into that theme that was expressed at the beginning of the film on the outside it looks all scary and mystical and it's supposed to be this inn where adventurers come to to get their quests or share their stories and team up. And it's kind of been reduced to this like family entertainment where the Manticore specifically laments like what she's become and, and yeah. sets the place on fire as a result. I know. I remember when Barley Ian and Barley's mom first sees that they ran away and ran off. They, she discovers what had happened and then she goes with the Manticore to go find them <laughs> Yeah, and so they go on this adventure, these two brothers, and so let tell me some what what were some of your favorite moments from this movie? Like those little pixies that were tiny but kind of aggressive. Yeah, that so the so the two brothers and their dad's legs run into they're getting gas for the van and they run into these pixies which are part of a bike gang. And they, like you said, they're very aggressive. Yeah. Don't get too fooled by their cuteness. <laughs> yeah. And I and I loved the way, and I think that's a great point to bring up because I loved the way this movie took the tropes of fantasy and kind of flipped them on their head. So the Pixies are a great example of that. Can you think of anything else? Like another part, like when Barley and Ian come up with a plan to disguise themselves as as the police officer from their neighborhood. Yeah, he's a centaur. With the police, they were trying to disguise, but if they say say something that isn't true, they would change back to normal. But if they say stuff true to who they actually are, then it would stay the same. And I think that's the, that's the moment in particular where the movie really took off for me. And this, and again, spoilers. So if you want to go in with a clean slate, Pause the episode now and come back after you've seen it. But in that moment, and the other police officers are talking to him uh, because this police officer is in a relationship with the brother's mom. And so they're talking about to the police officer about these kids. Mm -hmm. One of the officers brings up that, oh, Barley's he's a mess. And Ian, acting as the officer, tries to say like, oh, no, Barley's not a mess. But then a part of the illusion breaks down. And so then suddenly you realize Ian thinks that Barley's a mess. And that's where this sort of emotional through line takes off because, you know, the brothers have a fight after that about, about how they each think about each other. And like at first they don't get along too well. They get, have some fights and feuds, but later they get along well and start to become really close in friendship and what's the turning point what at what point do they realize oh actually we are friends we are later towards the end can you tell us about that moment during the climax when barley and ian after they fought that kind of weird dragon creature made out of pieces from the school which the curse happened which 
which the Manticore tried to warn them about earlier. Like emotional, revealing flashbacks of Yin and Barley's early childhood, which was very emotional. And another part that was really funny was the scene where Ian and, Ian and Barley's mom uses a Waze-like app on her phone, and it looks like an iPhone, and the icons for accept the call or decline the call on her phone look like the icons on iPhone, but looking medieval style. <laughs> yeah, and, and there is a recurring joke with the phone where every time the officer who's her boyfriend calls, it plays, it starts playing, um, Marvin Gaye, let's get it on. <laughs> um, but yes, I, I just thought the way they developed these characters was really fun. R the way they showed these characters, like the mom, she's really tough and strong and, and really cool in her own way. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, Barley, he's a nerd, but he's passionate and he believes wholeheartedly in his brother and, and, that emotional scene that you're talking about where there's the series of flashbacks, there's a montage of flashbacks from Ian's childhood growing up where Barley essentially was Ian's father figure, like teaching him how to ride a bike and, you know, teaching him how to swim and like just being there for him. You know, this actually kind of the way the relationship between the siblings was depicted, it kind of reminded me of Frozen. You're right with Anna and Elsa. Right. And taking so like how for Frozen, it was like sisters and sort of looking at that relationship. In this case, it was looking at these two brothers and sort of seeing how the, the idea of what it means to be a brother is fluid. Yeah, I get it. Like gender swapped. Well, kind of. But but more more specifically that like Ian was looking at Barley through the lens as he Barley's his brother. He was also so much more than that, because in a lot of ways, Barley was was acting as a father figure and sort of being that kind of fatherly support for him growing up. Yeah, I remember. So what else about this movie? What what else did you like about this movie? The short that accompanied it was a Matt Simpson short with Maggie Simpson called Playdate with Destiny, which I thought was really fun and clever. Oh yeah, that's right. I I, I forgot about that for a second. Tell us about that it, it that was, short. It is the second short to be based on The Simpsons. After the Longest Daycare, which was originally released with the fourth Ice Age film from Blue Sky in 2012. This one, like the Longest Daycare, also focused on Maggie, and it had basically no dialogue. And it had her things that we think we think she's doing with another baby, but it's only her imagination. Yeah, so she meets a baby at a park and they there's like a the classic kind of like meet cute of these two babies meeting. And, and so they have this like relationship and they get excited. And like, you see Maggie's like constantly thinking about him. And so the next day they're going to go back to the park, but it's Homer driving him and Maggie to the park. And they actually go to a different park. I know. Which in the beginning, it was Marge driving her. Yeah. And so they went to this one specific park for babies, but then Homer who's, you know, not the most responsible dad brings her basically to a skate park where she's in perilous danger. Um, mm. And she tries to figure out ways to get back to the original park to meet up with this other baby. I know that. And for younger audiences who saw Onward and they saw the Simpsons short, most of the younger audiences weren't too familiar with the 
Simpsons show, probably content-wise, Simpsons is made for older and more mature audiences. This is one of the rare instances that they there's that something Simpsons related is appropriate for younger kids to see. That's a good point because The Simpsons is definitely skewed towards older audiences, so it, it's more inclined to make more adult humor. Younger audiences wouldn't understand. Yeah, they wouldn't necessarily appreciate it. So this one, partly because there was no dialogue, I don't think there was any dialogue. Yeah, much like The Longest Daycare, which I also thought was one of the rare instances something Simpsons related was appropriate for younger kids to see. The reason that The Simpsons was showing before Onward is because Disney had just bought 20th Century Fox. Now called 20th Century Studios. Yeah, which owns The Simpsons, so now Disney owns The Simpsons. So that's why it was playing before Onward. I know. Yeah, but to get back to Onward itself, tell us a little bit more about what you liked about it. Like, what about this film was so good to you? It was clever, unique, funny, emotional, amusing, and with the characters and things. And I liked it just as much as a lot of the Pixar films, like the Toy Story movies, Inside Out, the Cars movies, Coco, and others, just as much as those, but better than some they had produced. Like Ratatouille Up and Wally, I liked I liked Onward better than, but a lot of the others, I liked it just as much. Tell us about the the use of magic in the film. What was, was that like? It was a good way to revive ancient magic from centuries ago and reviving something that died out. Right, and at the end of the movie, we see actually a lot of these creatures in the movie that had sort of lost touch with the magical aspects yeah. of their identities starting to reassert that or reclaim that magical side. Yeah. I get what you're saying, though, and it's good that they're, Ian and Barley are trying to restore something to its former glory. I don't know. It's I also just thought it was a very powerful movie about what it means to be a brother, what it means to have that kind of familial connection to grow up with somebody, especially in this case where their father had passed away. So they Mm. were raised by a single mom and they kind of had to support each other. I know. So Ezra. Would you recommend Onward? Yes, I would. It's filled with surprises, a lot of thrills. It's very unique, emotional and funny at the same time, like a lot of animated Disney films and Disney Pixar films in general. It has the heart and charm and a lot of the same humor, a lot of scenes that would make you cry and a lot of scenes that would make you laugh. Like I said before, I think this movie is a return to form for Pixar. It's probably my favorite Pixar film since uh, Coco. And really probably my favorite since Up. So it's it's a fantastic film. I understand, though, and I liked Coco just as much as others like Finding Nemo and Dory movies, The Incredibles films, the Monsters, Inc. films, and the Cars films, and this one just as much as well. But I like personally used to like Up, Ratatouille, and Wally when I was younger, but I moved on because there's others I like better because they're more colorful and more funny and amusing. Yeah, and you know, and and I was tearing up at the end, so it it. Well, it's it's a movie that's going to make you emotional. So just emotional, but also make you feel silly at the same time. Sure. If you have any siblings, you're definitely going to give them a call after this one. All right, then. And, and I'm glad we talked about this exciting film we saw yesterday. All right. So that will be it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what we do, consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash animation and beyond. We publish exclusive content on there, 
for patrons only, uh, like our podcast diaries, which is just a chance for us to talk about things that we don't have time to talk about on the podcast. We appreciate any any support you you like to give. But before we let you go, we have a trivia question to answer and a trivia question to give. So first, to answer last week's trivia question, California Adventure has a Pixar ride based on Monsters, Inc. What was that ride originally? When the park first opened on February 8th of 2001, it was a short-lived attraction that lasted nearly a year called Superstar Limo. And it had animatronics of Hollywood celebrities and you rode in a limousine. But it closed because it was apt because a lot of people didn't find it fun or exciting or magical like a lot of classic attractions at Disneyland like Pirates of the Caribbean or Haunted Mansion and things like that. And also it was considered controversial to the death of Princess Diana at the time. It was there was some criticism about it and it was one of the most failed Disney park rides in history. Yeah, because most rides last at least a few years before before they get changed. People who went on the ride, it got panned and people didn't find it very a very fulfilling attraction either. But it's since then, it got actually nearly four years later, it reopened and it was rethemed as Monsters, Inc. as Monsters, Inc. Mike and Sully to the rescue, which was one of the early changes they did to California Adventure to make it better and more exciting like they did in much later years. And since then, it stayed that way and people liked it better that way. Yes, and it's now... 15-ish years at least about yeah. that this Monster Inc. ride has has continued to run. And that because of that Disney later years had changed their California Adventure to make it better and more fun and exciting and so more people could go there and like it better. Like when they added Toy Story Mania, Little Mermaid, Cars Land and other things, it's become a lot happier and a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah, so very fascinating history just behind this one ride and what it used to be and how spectacularly it failed before it sort of rejuvenated its image as a Monster Inc. ride. So that was last week's trivia question. Now for this week's trivia question. I co-wrote a children's picture book called Emergency nearly a decade ago. What was it inspired by? All right, great question. And that's actually going to tie into our theme for for the next episode where we're going to be talking about... About children, some children's picture books that were adapted into films. So your book hasn't been adapted into a film quite yet, but who knows, fingers crossed. But we will definitely talk about what it's based off. So yeah, so if you know the answer shoot us an email at animationandbeyond at gmail.com and we'll give you a shout on the next episode. Animation and Beyond is written and produced by Ezra Fieldsmeyer and Casey Cantrell with music by Noam Fieldsmeyer. We'd like to give a big thanks to the family and friends who have supported this podcast. Got a comment, question, or recommendation for future episodes? Let us know by leaving us a comment on our Facebook page or send us an email at animationandbeyond at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of Animation and Beyond. Bye! See ya! (laughs) 